Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Hartman, Senior Editor behind com, with you for another episode of Let's Ride, your Monday, Wednesday, Friday morning podcast for all the diehard Steelers fans, my ride or die crew out there. They would definitely fall into that category. It's good to be back. It's good to be back on a regular Monday. Last Monday, we were dealing with the loss of Dwayne Haskins. That continues to be a cloud over the Pittsburgh Steelers organization and the fan base, but we have Pressed on last week, I did a special Monday morning conversation with you, the fans. Uh, but this time, I, I had a plan in place. I have to be completely honest with you. I had a guest lined up, and this was no one's fault but my own. I was having some major technical difficulties here at my house. I was livid, missed the interview time. I am going to do my best to have that guest on Wednesday's show. It would be the entire first half of the show, and then we would go into the mailbag in the second half. I was, I'm going to be honest with you, kids, I was pissed off. I was so mad. You could ask my wife. I just, I was mad at myself. I was mad at myself. Not all of it was my doing, but still, I was furious. We are going to have a Monday morning conversation. I'm going to have a regular voice on. It's going to be Mr. Brian Anthony Davis to talk all things Steelers. We're going to ask him some tough questions and, and get some answers from him as regards to his fanhood and things like that. Should be a fun time. Hopefully you stick around, but I, 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 Really was ticked off about that, but it, look, Wednesday's show could be really good. And I'm not going to say that it's a guarantee. This person that was going to come on the show on was going to be on Monday's show was he's a busy man, and so we'll see if we can get him on Wednesday. I've hopefully fingers crossed. Before I go any further, before I even talk about today's topic and and how I thought about this and really started to diving into numbers. I want to remind everyone: BehindTheSteelCurtain.com should be your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, we have all the latest articles. We've got film room breakdowns. I, I, I have been very, very proud of the editorial side and the website itself. Just a good mixture of voices. It's not all me. It's not all Dave Schofield. We've got everyone in the mix. And if you didn't know it, if you listen to our podcast uh, network, almost all of our podcasters are also writers. There's only a handful that only do podcasting. So if you want to learn more about them and, and their thoughts, it's it's different. It's a different medium. So make sure you check that out. Also, speaking of the network, wherever you get your podcasts, all you have to do is search Steelers or Behind the Steel Curtain, and you subscribe, follow. We're everywhere where you get your podcasts. So if you stumbled on this on Twitter, or maybe you're on the website and you clicked on the podcast roundup article that Brian Anthony Davis does every day, and you clicked on the megaphone player, you're wondering, where can I get more of this? Well, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, Pandora, does not matter. All you have to do is find us by searching Steelers or Behind the Steel Curtain, subscribe, follow, whatever you have to do so that you don't miss a thing. That's really, really important. If you're on Spotify or you're on Apple Podcasts, it would help us and be beneficial to give us a five-star rating. It's completely free. It doesn't cost hardly anything, and it does help us in the algorithm promoting our product over others, and we appreciate all your support. All right, today's title. This is something that stemmed from Dave, Dave Schofield's Stat Geek podcast last Thursday. So if you listen to that, it was all about wide receivers. And he went back into wider, the history of the Steelers. And he was talking about Swan and Stallworth and Heinz Ward and Louis Lips and Yancey Thigpen, all those great names that we all know. And he talked about how was well, the question that he answered was, was year four, is it the breakout 
year for receivers in Steelers history. Great podcast. Go back and check it out. I'm not going to give you any detailed information other than that. So I'm driving to work. I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm thinking to myself, these receivers, I mean, you're talking about some tremendous names. And then I started thinking about the Kevin Colbert era. And I'm thinking about how in the Kevin Colbert era, if there was one narrative that everyone continues to repeat, parrot, whatever you want to call it, is are the Steelers a wide receiver factory? There were people out there that would say the Steelers, hey, they can draft receivers better than any team in the National Football League. And I understand when it came to assessing talent, scouting the position, yeah, they're probably superior. But then I started to think, are they still a wide receiver factory? And was that narrative kind of false the entire time? So I want you I want to make something very clear before I dive back into these players, when they were drafted, and all of this information. To me, this is not all about statistics. This is not all about a player being successful in the league. This is about the Pittsburgh Steelers drafting a player, a wide receiver in this regard, and them having staying power within the organization, not just being replaced, because that seems to be the the current trend with the way the Steelers are drafting receivers. They draft them, they stay here for a contract, their rookie contract, and then they just bring someone else in. And you'll see this as I go through these names, but staying power. And so when it, this is something I talked about with Michael Beck on Friday. If you listen to the Blue Check Beck segment on my Friday show, I asked him about, does he still trust the Steelers when it comes to drafting receivers? He said, yes. He said he absolutely does. And I said, I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. But when I look back at these players that were drafted, I asked myself, are the Steelers still a quote-unquote wide receiver factory? I'm not interested in the Steelers drafting players basically being like the wide receiver factory for the rest of the league. I'm not interested in them drafting players, having them for four years, then shipping them off. They leave in free agency. They're productive for someone else, and the Steelers are left starting over. That's not what I'm interested in. As a fan of this football team, I'm interested in the team getting a receiver like a Heinz Ward type who stays in the Pittsburgh for their entire career, is productive there, and is considered having staying power. So what I decided to do, I went back and looked at the draft history for the Steelers, and I started in 2009. That was the start of the quote-unquote the Young Money Crew. And this is also when the narrative began that the Steelers were a wide receiver factory, that they drafted better than anyone else. This is when it started, in my opinion. And so that's where I started. And so I, I want you to know, that when it came to the Young Money crew, it started in 09 with Mike Wallace, who was drafted in the third round. After that, in 2010, the Steelers had two draft picks, Emmanuel Sanders in round three, Antonio Brown in round six. In 2013, they spent a third-round pick on Marcus Wheaton. In 2014 was when they took a fourth-round flyer on Martavis Bryant. In 2015 was the Sammy Coates experiment in round three. In 2017, Juju Smith-Schuster was drafted in round two. Follow that up in 2018 with James Washington in round two. In 2019, Deontay Johnson in round three. And in 2020, Chase Claypool in round two. I, there were other 
receivers in there that I just did not add. There were maybe six seventh round picks. Antonio Brown is the exception to the rule at in round six. We should we should know that. Uh, probably one of the greatest six round picks in NFL history, second only to probably Tom Brady. So what I decided, I was looking at this. I'm looking at these names, and these names, they all had their place in Steelers history in regards to them being a quality pass catcher. I mean, Mike Wallace, everyone remembers Mike Tomlin saying that Mike Wallace is a one-trick pony. One-trick pony. I mean, is there anything more damning to a wide receiver than having your head coach publicly tell the media that you can only do one thing and one thing only? Run a fly route, a go route, a whatever. Go deep, as we used to say as kids out on the uh, out on the the gridiron, which was our backyard. Go deep, and so when you have all these this this situation, you have a, a wide receiver in Mike Wallace. Like I said, third round draft pick. People forget the Steelers wanted to keep Mike Wallace. He was a very productive receiver for the Steelers in his time. They offered him the contract that they gave Antonio Brown. He turned it down. They said, we're going to give the contract to someone else, and he ended up leaving. Now, Mike Wallace, he spent time in Miami. That's where he went right after. He spent time with the Baltimore Ravens, bounced around maybe a couple other teams before he eventually said, I'm done. He's no longer in the league. However, when you look at Mike Wallace, again, a great receiver, was productive for the Dolphins, had some moments with the Ravens, but he had no staying power. The Steelers wanted to keep him. He turned it down. They gave it to someone else. All right, let's go to the next one, Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders, and this was a situation where everyone knew once Antonio Brown signed his contract, he got the second deal before he was even done with his rookie contract. Everyone knew that there was no, no way they were going to be able to afford to bring Emmanuel Sanders back. Emmanuel Sanders, again, productive player. He's... I think he's a free agent currently, but he was in the league as of last year playing for the Buffalo Bills. He's had staying power in the league, but not with the Steelers. And so you had a third-round pick of Emmanuel Sanders, a great career. He's played with the Saints. He played with the Bills most recently. He played with the Denver Broncos, probably the most productive years of his career with Peyton Manning. But still, again, I'm not interested in the Steelers being the quote-unquote Pittsburgh Pirates, who always we always joke is the farm system for the rest of the Major League Baseball teams, like the Yankees and the Dodgers and all those teams. Now, Antonio Brown, six-round pick, he gets the contract that Mike Wallace turns down. He stays in Pittsburgh. It, in my opinion, has a stretch of four years that is the greatest four-year stretch in NFL history as it pertains to receivers. It was amazing, and he was fantastic. Anyone that says or tells you that Antonio Brown wasn't that good is literally letting their emotions cloud their judgment and really realizing how good he was. He was phenomenal. The best of the best. Some might argue Julio Jones. Okay, I'm going to say that I would have taken Antonio Brown every single day of the week and twice on Sunday when he was at his prime. We know how he left gets traded to Oakland for a third and fifth round pick, doesn't even play a snap for Oakland, Gets goes to New England, gets suspended, then finds his way in Tampa Bay, wins a Super Bowl. He's now out of the league again after he ran off the field last season in New York with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's a train wreck, but at the same time, I guarantee you that if there's a team out there, they'll say, 
yeah, we'll we'll pay you some money. Come in and help us make plays. Still in the league. Not with the Steelers. We'll come back to Antonio Brown in a second. Marcus Wheaton. Marcus Wheaton comes in. Everyone has high expectations for him. Never really pans out. Marcus Wheaton is banged up. I remember he had broken fingers early in his career. Might have been his rookie year. Doesn't last past his rookie contract. He gets picked up by Philadelphia. After that, doesn't do anything. He's out of the league. Martavis Bryant, what a lightning rod that he is, both on and off the field. Tremendous player on the field. His athletic prowess was almost second to none when it came to size, speed, and overall ability, yet couldn't stay out of trouble off the field. This is kind of the turning point when the Steelers started to focus on more character individuals and not just worrying about straight talent. Martavis Bryant, last I heard, was in the Canadian Football League or even trying to do that. I'm not sure if he still is, but he's not in the NFL. We'll put it that way. Sammy Coates in 2015, again, had a decent few games. Literally, we're talking about just a few games. The Steelers do not want to hang their proverbial hat when it comes to drafting receivers on Sammy Coates. That's just not what they want to do. Sammy Coates was just not that guy that everyone thought he was. I remember he had a great game against the New York Jets in the Bumblebee uniforms at Heinz Field, and he had those mangled fingers as well. Didn't work out. He ends up leaving. He's not in the league anymore either. Now we're getting into more recent times. Juju Smith-Schuster. So Juju Smith-Schuster, I'm not even going to count his second contract. He he played out his rookie deal, came into the league, guns a-blazing. Juju Smith-Schuster took the NFL by storm when Antonio Brown was across from him. And this is a lot of people say, a lot of people that are in the locker room say that it was that. It was the fact that he was voted MVP. It was the fact that people were longing to talk with Juju more than they were Antonio Brown that started Antonio Brown on the path that he still finds himself on, in which case he is always trying to prove himself. He's always trying to show that he is the greatest and no one should have any attention other than him. But in the tail end of Juju's time with Pittsburgh, injuries piled up. We all know that the quarterback play was inconsistent, but ultimately you had Juju Smith-Schuster not retained by the Steelers. Now you can talk about the one year eight million eight million dollar contract in 2021, but in 2022 they could have matched the deal that the Kansas City Chiefs gave him and they chose not to. They let him go. For whatever reason. You know, there's the rumors that he had to have he has to have his knee drained once or twice a week during the season. That's not good. It may be the fact that he doesn't have the burst anymore. He literally is nothing but a possession receiver underneath crossing routes, which he's tough as nails, we get it. But it's not what the Steelers want or need at this time. They made that very clear when they didn't go after him. Now you have two players that are still on the roster. Deontay Johnson was a third-round draft pick in 2019. He's in the final year of his rookie contract. And Chase Claypool in the second round in 2020. So you go back and you look at all these players. Mike Wallace, one contract. Emmanuel Sanders, one contract. Marcus Wheaton, one contract. Martavis Bryant doesn't even get through one contract. Sammy Coates, one contract. Juju, unless you want to count that one-year $8 million deal in 2021, he had one contract. James Washington, I forgot about him. One contract. He's now in with the Dallas Cowboys, second-round pick. And so then Deontay Johnson, everyone's talking about, is he going to stay or is he going to go? If Deontay Johnson's going to want what some are reporting that he wants, He's not going to stay. 
They will not pay him that much money. He's not worth that much money, in my opinion. But I look at this, and again, this doesn't come down to statistics, folks. This does not come down to, are the Steelers good at drafting receivers? They're good at drafting receivers. But at what point do you say, I'm going to draft a receiver that I at least want to have for a second contract? Antonio Brown, if you want to count Juju Smith-Schuster, that's it. Out of all those receivers I just named were the only receivers that got a second deal with the Steelers. Now Deontay Johnson, the verdict's still out, same with Chase Claypool. I'm sorry, but again, I'm not interested in the Steelers being some type of farm system for other teams receiving. Now, other than, let's say, Mike Wallace, Emmanuel Sanders, they were really the only receivers, we don't know about James Washington yet, that went elsewhere and were actually productive. Well, James Washington might go to Dallas, and he might resurrect his career. It's quite possible. Or he could go the way of Marcus Wheaton, Sammy Coates, and just kind of fizzle out, and then they're out of the league. That could happen as well. You know, this is something I want to talk with uh, Brian Anthony Davis about. So when we come back after this break, the Monday morning conversation, Mr. Bad will be joining me. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it's Monday. It's the second half of Let's Ride, which means it's time for the Monday morning conversation. I said that one Brian Anthony Davis was going to be joining me on this Monday. Haven't had him on for a Monday morning conversation yet. So I welcome in the man who single-handedly ruined the song Hurt So Good by John Cougar Mellencamp <laughs> during his uh, 50th birthday celebration. Heard that on the radio this morning. I was like, oh, I just, I picture Brian in a sleeveless shirt. It's just, he ruined it. But Brian, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, I'm on 24 seven and my family <laughs> hates that, but <laughs> you know, I, if you don't have fun, if you don't laugh, you're going to end up crying. Right, Jeff. That's true. That is very, very true. So, uh, Brian and I go way back. We'll talk about some stuff. I'm sure that's not Steelers related, but before we get to all that fun stuff, I want to ask you about what I talked about in the first half of this podcast. And it's just a general question at first. And then I'm going to ask you several follow-ups. Do you think the Steelers are still considered a wide receiver factory? That's the question that I tried to tackle. Uh, and, and I made sure uh, that it was very clear that this is not about statistics for me. This is about staying power. So, Brian, I want to ask you that, but I'll give you a chance to answer. Are the Steelers, in your opinion, still a wide receiver factory? Well, remember the days when we would call Penn State linebacker you? Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like in the 2000s and maybe in the last 15 years, the Pittsburgh Steelers have been become a wide receiver factory. And I don't think it's really changed because when you look at bringing in a guy like Deontay Johnson in the third round of the 2019 draft, when you bring in other players that even though they weren't superstars, but they contributed quite a good bit and you bring them in and they they excel. That means you're a wide receiver factory. Juju Smith Schuster is one of those, you know, a very good pick, but he exceeded expectations as a rookie right away. You also were able to count on guys with high draft picks like a chase Claypool, like a James Washington 
even the Sammy Coates, I mean, Marcus Wheaton, I could bring up those guys and you you might be like, whoa, hold on, Brian. Those guys aren't that sexy of a wide receiver name, but they're able to plug those guys in at threes and fours as well to and have a lot of success. So you always know that the Steelers are going to have a good wide receiver stable, and that's because they know how to draft these guys. Okay, so I'm going to name you 10 players that I focused on, and you kind of named several of them that the Steelers drafted. And I went all the way back to when the Young Money crew began with Mike Wallace in 2009. And I I want you to think to yourself, how many of these players got a second contract with the Steelers? Okay, Mike Wallace, Emmanuel Sanders in AB in 2010, Marcus Wheaton in 13, uh, Martavis Bryant in 14, Sammy Coates in 2015, Juju in 17, James Washington in 18, Deontay Johnson in 19, and Chase Claypool in 2020. Now, we don't know about Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Verdict's still out. How many of those got a second contract, Brian, off the top of your head? Yeah, a few of them, but not too many. But Two. Yes, but they're... And that's if you count Juju Smith-Schuster's one-year $8 million deal in 2021. Okay, and I, I get that, but it comes with a caveat. Think about this. Emmanuel Sanders, he was there at the same time. Think about the draft. He's number three in 2010. AB's number six in 2010. That's a pretty good wide receiver draft haul for the Steelers in that season. But one of those guys isn't going to get a contract. And with Mike Wallace, I mean, you can't give all the wide receivers contracts. So Mike Wallace didn't get a second contract, but because of his disputes before he got that deal with the Miami Dolphins, they're it wasn't going to happen anyways. So there, there was intentions to give these guys contracts. They would have loved to have given Emmanuel Sanders another contract, but there was no room for the guy. Martavis Bryant substanced himself out of the uh, Steelers into a trade. So you see, I, I'm trying substance to substance himself out. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I didn't want to say drank or smoke. Cause I don't, you know, there's confusing things on that. So I just to say, right. he went to Oakland. He was traded yeah. to Oakland. Yeah. And uh, he's the reason you have Mason Rudolph basically. Yeah. But yeah, they they would have loved to have given him another contract if he wasn't a problem and he was a problem. So a lot of these guys would have gotten second contracts. Juju. Yes. Juju got a second contract, but it was that one year deal, but it still counts. Yeah. So James Washington, I think James Washington would have gotten another deal because look at, I mean, the cupboard is almost bare and they would have signed him to another deal, but there was hard feelings in the James Washington camp. He was done because of the fact that they've had so many in that position and these guys get lost in the shuffle. So some of those guys that didn't sign Jeff got lost in the shuffle. And that means the reason they didn't get contracts is because the Steelers are a wide receiver factory and they keep making these guys. I, I, I trust, I've asked this to Michael Beck on Friday and I said, do you still trust the Steelers to draft receivers? And he said, yes. And I agree with him. I still do trust the receivers to draft the position, but there is something that irks me about the fact that out of those 10 names, the most prolific names on the list, there were other receivers that were drafted that didn't pan out. I think Dre Archer's listed as a receiver, but it's neither here nor there. But still, there were other receivers since 2009 that were also drafted in the late rounds. But 
it just irks me when you have these guys that don't have that staying power and everything you said is factual. I'm not saying that what you said isn't true. I'm not saying that what you said about each and every one of these players, whether it was Sanders and Wallace and their situation with the young money crew, you couldn't keep them all. I'm still shocked. They couldn't keep two out of the three, but they didn't. They only kept one. Wheaton was kind of a bust. Coates was kind of a bust. I would say that Washington in his time with Pittsburgh was kind of a bust. And so you, you have these situations where you're like, okay, What's what's happening here? I mean, I want players. I I, I, told, I said this at the beginning of the, of the show. This all this this whole topic got stemmed from Dave Schofield's Stat Geek last Thursday when he talked about some of the greatest receivers in Steelers history and whether or not in year four they had their breakout. And Deontay Johnson is entering year four, as we all know. And I'm listening to these names like Heinz Ward. When when are the Steelers ever going to get another Heinz Ward type that says, you know what? I I'm a stealer for life. And I think that is still possible, by the way, I don't think that just in the modern NFL, it, all of a sudden players don't want to stay in one spot. Mike, my, my question is, Brian, is that player on the roster right now that is saying I'm going to be a stealer for life? Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, or either one of those guys. I'm doubtful on that just because I think Deontay Johnson would be a stealer for life, but, Look at the contracts that, my gosh, Christian Kirk, look at the contract he just got from Jacksonville. Oh my gosh, I'm not giving him that deal. Exactly. Uh, congratulations for earning it. I'm glad you earned it. You got you got it. But now that makes Deontay Johnson and his agent go to the Steelers and say, well, Christian Kirk got this. And look, look at the production of Deontay Johnson the last few years. And it has been good. His production, he has caught more balls since 19... 19- excuse me, in, since 2018 or 2019, whenever he was drafted. 2019, yeah. Then, then almost anybody else. So he's been super productive for the Steelers. We just remember the drops because we're way too close to it. And the- well, it's more than that, though, Brian. I mean, you listen to our podcast. If you listen to Jeffrey Benedict's podcast on Deontay Johnson, those numbers that you just related to, like the receptions, it's kind of a mirage. He does his yard and maybe it's offensive scheme. Maybe it's quarterback driven. I'm not sure. But when he compared him to some of the elite receivers in the game, we're talking the Cooper cups and players like that. He doesn't even sniff their stats when it comes to yards per reception, overall yards, just the proficient numbers that you want to see from a number one receiver. I like Deontay Johnson. I think that he, I would love to see him stay in Pittsburgh, but not at wide receiver one money. There's no way. And I'm, I'm in full agreement, but I disagree. And you know how much I respect Jeffrey Benedict, but I disagree with the Mirage thing because scoreboard, he's caught, he got those balls. So if you, yeah, but at the same time, there's more than just, you know, number of receptions. You also look at reps like yards per reception. I, and I get that. And that's why we get paid to do what we do Yeah, for sure. by, by uh, <laughs> being on these podcasts to bring those numbers up. And I'm so glad he does makes my job easier that he does it. All I'm saying is, you know, I'm seeing it, without Deontay Johnson Steelers would have been, well, gosh, the Steelers would be in line for a, uh, a top five pick probably. Well, I'm also thinking, now future. Okay. So we look at the past and all this stuff with the receiver. So I look at chase Claypool. I look at Deontay Johnson. And now I look at 
The quarterback likely, and let's be honest, is probably Mitch Trubisky, if not Mason Rudolph, or maybe they draft a quarterback. I think we all think they are going to draft a quarterback at some juncture in the NFL draft this April at the end of the month coming up shortly. And you have to ask yourself with this Matt Canada system, is it going to be receiver friendly? Everything that you read, and I trust people like Kevin Smith that you do the Here We Go Steelers show on Fridays with. I trust Jeffrey Benedict in terms of the film that they've watched on Matt Canada's system. And everything that I've heard is he likes to run the football. They want to control the clock, but it's not really the big play offense. And I wonder if that's going to actually help or hurt these receivers that might come in or might be considering whether to stay or leave in free agency. I don't know. What does your gut tell you about 2022 in terms of production from the receiver position? As far as that goes, I think this offense runs through Najee Harris, like you just said, with Matt Canada's offense, but they're still going. You can't run it every single time. And think about this. If Najee Harris gets five more, seven more carries per game, I don't think it kills the wide receiver and because you can't give him that ball way too much. So if he gets the ball five or seven more times, that means they're extending drives. That means there's more plays for the Steelers and more plays for the wide receivers. You cannot live on a running back alone. So I don't think they're going to get killed as much as it suggests. It's going to be running back heavy, but still, when you live on that alone, they're going to eat them up for I mean, four yards behind the line of scrimmage if it's happening all the time. So you, it's not like Tecmo Bowl where you can run, run, run. All right, question. Who has a bigger year this year, Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool? I'm really thinking it's Chase Claypool. Okay, follow-up question. Bigger year, Deontay Johnson or Pat Fryermuth? Whoa. Um, they're both going to have great years, and I'm not trying to Dave Schofield yet. Um <laughs> They, I, I really think that Pat Fryermuth has the potential to get in the area code of Travis Kelsey to get up there with uh, to get in the area code of Mark Andrews as far as being a huge weapon and could possibly lead. But you still need that wide out. And when you look at the Ravens with Mark Andrews, the Steelers have better receivers and Mitch Trubisky will have have a better arm than Lamar Jackson. So I would, I would kind of say there that Fryermuth has the potential to do it, but my gosh, both Claypool and Deontay, they're going to catch their balls. Think back to 2002 when Tommy Maddox, all of a sudden is the quarterback and you have two prolific seasons. You have two guys over a thousand yards receiving. And they, I think they were off by about eight yards, and this is Heinz Ward and Plexico Burris. So I think there's an opportunity to get those guys even, and with a very good tight end like Pat Fryermuth, I think you're going to have more potent wide receivers than you would think. I hope so. I really do. Heard an interesting, I saw an interesting statistic on Twitter the other day. I'm not sure if you saw this at all, but did you know that Mitchell Trubisky has never lost to an AFC North team? <laughs> I did not know that. That's really fascinating. Yeah, I, I it's pretty incredible. I, I was I saw that. I think our BTSC account reached quote tweeted or something, but pretty interesting stuff. So, uh, Brian, you know, a lot of people hear you talk all the time, and you're on a lot of shows. You're on the you Bad Language, which is going to be Monday 
not Tuesday. If you listen to the preview, he messed, <laughs> he messed up. It's Monday at noon. We're moving it from Sunday morning to Monday at noon. And you so, know, being, being the podcast producer, I was able to edit that out. Did you really? Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. You're such a coward. Anyways. Uh, hey, <laughs> Credibility. You make a mistake. Hey, clip, clip. Did you Never answer? Happened. Did you insert the Monday or did you just cut it out? No, I just cut it out. Completely. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's hysterical. But anyways, you're on bad language. You're on the hangover on Mondays. You're on the preview with me and Dave Schofield on Thursdays. And then, um, the here we go Steelers show on Fridays. Um, where did you tell people that don't know that maybe are new listeners? Where did you grow up? How'd you become a Steeler fan? Well, I grew up in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and I was in second and third grade in like 78 and 79. And you have, they're playing the Cowboys and you have that one or two guys that have the JC Penny Steeler, excuse me, uh, Cowboys shirts, but everybody else has the uh, Steelers jerseys and, and they weren't really jerseys. They were out of the JC Penny or Sears catalog in the back. And that's the only reason I would ever get that catalog when I was a kid. I didn't care about the toys I cared about. I would stare at those football jerseys yep. and they would have Steelers across the chest. I still have my Jack Ham from uh, fourth grade, actually. But Jack Ham was from Johnstown, PA. And my uncle was a season ticket holder. He uh, he kind of teased my uh, mom and dad a couple of weeks before the Super Bowl. Actually, it was the night before the AFC championship game. And he says to my dad, he's like, hey, I can get you two tickets to the Super Bowl. I've got a bus going. I have a bus going to the regular games. I can get you two tickets to the Super Bowl. And he said, hey, let me go talk to my wife. And he's like, ah, my sister will never let you go. And <laughs> so he comes back in and says, all right, we'll take the two. And he's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so my parents went to went to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 14 in Pasadena and got to got to see Terry Bradshaw in that game. And and my dad actually got to mention that to Terry Bradshaw when I took him to meet him just a couple of years ago. And Terry Bradshaw, he says, hey, I was at Super Bowl 14. Terry Bradshaw says to him, he's like, wow, that was a tough one. And then, then they're talking about the game. And I'm like, wow, there's a line of people and Terry's talking, you know, and uh, they're talking about that game. He's like, I know we won, but that was a really tough game. Uh, so, you know what? When you grow up in Johnstown, it's 65 miles from Pittsburgh. My dad took me to my very first game, December 5th, 1983, excuse me, 1982 for my birthday. I just turned 11 and I got to see the Steelers and the Chiefs and Bradshaw hook up with John Stallworth on a long bomb. It was, it was great. And I remember being at the concession stand, eating a hot dog with my dad and thinking that this is what I've seen on TV forever. And now I'm here in the stadium. This is amazing. And I, years later, I got to take my dad to a game. And not only did I get to take him to a game, Jeff, I took I was working for a Fox News station in Johnstown, PA, and they gave me passes one week to cover the game. And I had the camera. I got to go to the press conference after the game. We got to go to the buffet before the game. My dad, I say, hey, just stay up in the press box. And he's in the press box and. He's covering the game. I'm on the field. I almost get hit by an, uh, an NBC camera, uh, the, the rolling camera. And I almost get hit by Dwight Stone, which I had a chance to talk to him about that later. 
where I just, I was wearing my college fraternity jacket and I was still in college and I knew they were watching and I'm like, I better get out of here because if I get laid out, I'm, I'm never going to hear the end of it. Plus I don't want to get hit even though Dwight stone was like 180 soaking wet. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I've always been around the Steelers. It's always been a part of the fabric and I'm going to break some news to you. I had some flirtations with Joe Montana and John Elway back in the eighties and I would wear their stuff, but I always had more black and gold. And when the Steelers played them, they were dead to me. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So you see your first game was in December of 82. Yep. Little did we know that in just uh, about a little over two months, I mean, the world would change for the better. That's for sure. That was yeah, you I'm were bacon. That was, yeah, that was when I was born in February yeah. of 83. So your first game was before I was even born. That's it's interesting. It's you're aging yourself. But anyways, um, I, I want to ask you, which is the, what is the greatest game you've ever seen live? Oh, yeah. Wow. I'll have to say Jacksonville, Pittsburgh. 1997 the Steelers were getting crushed by at halftime by by two touchdowns and there was these two shirtless Jacksonville guys this was right around Halloween in fact to give you a little bit of an idea of when it was the Marlins and the Indians were playing game seven and I missed the I got home for the very end of it so that was Jim Leland's championship moment but I I got home for the very end of that, but it was so it was right before Halloween to give you a little bit of an idea. And we're at this game. They're losing. I see these Jacksonville kids. I'm like, you guys, I I talked to them. I'm like, you guys are going to die if you I'm not being mean to you, but you might want to calm it down because this (laughs) this is a four o'clock game and there's been a lot of drinking. And if they win, you're going to get beat up. And I don't want to see that happen. And they're like, okay. So they, the Steelers end up getting a goal line stand against, uh, they get a goal line stand against Jacksonville late in the game. Then Bettis scores in overtime, like a 50 yard run in overtime. It was just a magical comeback. And that was the year that they went to the championship game. And unfortunately, I was at that championship game too in the loss to Denver. But that was just a great moment. That's really good stuff. And I, I haven't been to as many games as you have for sure, but uh, it's definitely something where being there is different. You know, a lot of people that have never made the trek to Pittsburgh and, and unbelievably. So it's, it's not easy. I mean, tickets now are expensive. You got to get there. And there's people that are all over the globe, whether it's, you know, uh, people over in England. I know we have a, a following in Australia. It's just, I, I can't imagine. Um, now I've been l- lucky enough to go. I haven't been to a game in a long time, but still you got to get there. That's something I always say. You got to get there once it's like a Mecca and you, know, you got to get to Heinz field. At least if it's going to be Heinz field in, in 2022, we're not sure, but so you got to get there to see a game live. Um, all right, Brian. Hey, let's, uh, let's uh, give you a chance to talk to the ride or die crew before we call it a show. Ride or die crew. I'm so jealous of you people. I really am because you're the gold standard as far as fan groups here at BTSC and not just the BTSC and Steeler Nation. You follow Jeff well and you follow the show well. With me being the podcast producer, I love it because that means you follow all of BTSC. Now, I'm going to invite you over. You can have dual citizenship. You can be a part <laughs> of hashtag bad company, which a few people notice it, but 
we we can go ahead and get that together now that I'm going to be on Mondays along with Jeff. And gosh, double dip of me on Monday. I just realized with a hangover too. My gosh, Mondays will be really apt because they suck, and then you have me. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, Jeff, I love the Ride or Die crew. We can't do it without these listeners. Yeah, in the live chat, and we're nothing without them. And so I am really thankful. And we've had a chance to. We've had a chance to celebrate our listeners' achievements. We've had a chance to mourn the loss of a listener. We lost Dennis Sheridan last year. You know, we've we've had a chance to be a BTSC family and ride or die. That crew is a big part of it. We get private messages all the time. And it's a special thing to have the bond that we do with our listeners, with our BTSC family. So I'm so thankful. And that's probably the best part of my job here at BTSC, the interaction. Yeah, no, you, you put it well. You put it well. Um, so, Brian, thank you for joining me, taking the time. I want to remind the listeners out there that Wednesday, I, again, fingers crossed for that show on Wednesday. If you want a heads up as to what's coming up, follow me on Twitter at jhartman, H-E-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. If things go as planned, I will put it out there, but also be on the lookout for the mailbag tweet that always goes out on Tuesday. I will answer every single question from my ride or die crew on Wednesday's mailbag segment. So thank you, Brian. And as we always finish it out here, be safe, be kind, and God bless. We'll see you on Wednesday. Those dealers.